Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right. So with that behind us, let's move on to the sermon. Quickly mentioned to you, we have baptisms. I think I've already said that, but anybody know how many people are getting baptized at our church this weekend? 39 of them. 39, actually could be 40. I'm not 100% sure. Could be off by one. Is that not amazing? 39 people getting baptized. I think that that's amazing. So we will get to our baptisms at the end of the service. First, you must endure my sermon. <laughs> All right. So usually I like to start off my, pa- uh, my sermon by reading a passage of Scripture, a large passage of Scripture. That's just kind of how I have, uh, I've found it very Uh, helpful as I prep. Today we're going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to start by just sharing one line of scripture with you, the start of a passage of scripture. We're going to work our way through a subject that the Lord has laid on my heart about freedom, and then we're going to return to the larger context of the passage at the end. How does that sound? Okay, so if you want, you can open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be parked this morning, Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to read to you verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now that's not a bad passage to focus on on baptism weekend, amen? In fact, if you're getting baptized this weekend, I might encourage you, in fact, I will encourage you to memorize that passage of Scripture. I think it's a timely reminder for you, but it's a reminder for all of us. So here's how I want to start this message off. I want to share with you a little bit of a story from my childhood. When I was a kid, I had an awesome childhood, by the way. One of the things that my friends and I love to do is we love to fly a kite. Now, not just any kite, my buddy had this kite that was just so awesome in many different ways. Now, it, it wasn't exactly the prettiest kite that you're, you'd ever see. You know, you can find some of beautiful design and color um, and different shapes. No, this was a pretty ordinary kite. It was made out of scrap wood and thick tarp, okay? And you know how, as a kid, everything, your imagination is just exaggerated? Like, I remember this kite being just like seven feet wide. I don't think it was quite that big, but honestly, I think it was maybe about that wide. It was longer than it was wide. Big diamond-shaped kite, and what we'd love to do is go to the schoolyard near our house, and we would fly that kite on windy days. And what I loved about this kite was the adrenaline rush it gave you, because it was a whole-body workout flying this thing. And it, would, uh, you know, it would, would make you feel as though you could fly. Just, it, you know, emboldened you. Or maybe it was like it threatened that you literally would fly if the winds got strong enough. I don't know which one it was, but we just loved flying this thing. And it would do these cool, unruly dives down to the ground. Like just swoop down. And I think what I loved most about it is the danger of flying this kite. And I can not confirm nor deny that at times we may have tried to swoop it down on some poor unsuspecting soul. I don't know. I just, that's what we did for fun. No one got hurt, at least not too badly. Um, But that's what we love to do. And I want you to imagine with me at the start of this sermon, I want you to picture a kite flying in the sky. Now, this time you can picture a nice pretty kite flying in the sky. And doesn't a kite, in a way, have a, it kind of nicely symbolizes freedom. It almost embodies this carefree sense of freedom as it weaves back and forth on the wind. And, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful thing with the backdrop of this picturesque blue sky. So I want you to imagine that And then just hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But Paul said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. We were called to freedom. And that is a beautiful calling. Here's my question. What is your definition of freedom? How do you define that term? 
In his book, Chasing Love, Dr. Sean McDowell unpacks this question brilliantly. So brilliantly, in fact, and with, in such a concise manner that there are a few points that I want to pull out of his fourth chapter of that book, Chasing Love, and I recommend, especially youth and young adults, to check out this book called Chasing Love. I think you'll really find it helpful, and it's, it's just really well written. But I want to pull out four or five like, really great quotes from this chapter, and I want to use that as a bit of my framework this morning for a message that the Lord has laid on my heart regarding freedom. And then we'll come back to Galatians chapter 5. But what is freedom? Because according to Paul, that's what we're called to as Christians. So I think it's really important that we understand what is the biblical definition of freedom. It's a relevant question today as human beings desire freedom. We crave freedom. We want freedom from oppression, from tyranny, from violence. But that's not so much the angle that I want to address freedom from this morning. Rather... I want to look at it from this perspective. As a human being created in God's image, what does it mean to be free? And Dr. McDowell, he asked a group of high school students this question. How do you define freedom? And he let them, you know, think about it for a little while as a group. And then they presented him with the following definition for freedom. Freedom is being able to do what you want Uh, when you want without restraint. In other words, the free person does whatever he or she wants without any person or law hindering them. So is that an accurate definition of freedom? Because it seems to line up with the way that many people define freedom today. I mean, that's the pursuit of the good life, right? Not reliant on anybody and not restrained by anybody. That's freedom. And you hear this definition come out in many ways in songs, in news articles. You hear it in what people lobby for or against, in the movies, in books. If I could, you know, boil it down to our cultural motto, if you will, is thus. Don't be so judgmental. What's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for you. So don't tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. You're infringing upon my freedom, so stop it. One of my favorite examples of this is actually a stop sign here in town. And underneath the word stop, somebody has come along and with a sticker placed the word judging. Okay, so now the sign reads, stop judging. And I hear a few snickers because I'm sure you know where this sign is located, but that's irrelevant. I've often thought to myself, what if I uh, conducted a little experiment? What if instead of stopping at this sign, I just rolled through it into oncoming traffic? And suppose I did that and I crashed my van into oncoming traffic. Do you suppose that the person I hit would get out of their car and begin applauding me and saying, way to go, way to stand for freedom. I am so glad that you interpreted for yourself that you had the right of way. Now, We are Canadian, so I actually almost wonder if that's what we would do. Uh, But I don't think we're quite there yet. My guess is that we would get out of the car and they would rightfully be upset with me for my poor lack of judgment. Why? Why? Because in driving, we're governed by the unwritten rules of the road, which are actually written down, but we seldom pay attention to when we're being trained. And those rules of the road define how we ought to treat an octagonal-shaped red sign with the word stop on it. It says we need to stop, come to a full stop at that sign. And so, we have to hold each other to that standard. And my excuse as I got out of the van of, hey, I was just following the sign, okay? Don't judge me. That wouldn't hold up. Because that person would judge me and they would expect me to understand why. Now, in fairness, I think I understand what, you know, the person who put that sticker on the sign was meaning. Because it's also true that we live in a world where so many people spend all their time judging other people and never once take a look at their own life. Is that true? Jesus also spoke about that. He said, why are you so obsessed with the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, yet pay no attention to the log within your own eye? So in that sense, I can get behind the sign. But if you took that statement, stop judging to its logical end, it would be a truly terrifying world to live in. Everybody would, see, uh, would do what they 
thought was right in their own eyes. We've tried that already. It's called the book of Judges, no pun intended. Go and read it and see how that way of life goes for people. It's an absolute train wreck if we all do what's right in our own eyes. So then, is freedom the ability to do what you want without restraint? The answer is no, and maybe partially yes. And here's what I mean by that. Well, first, no, in the sense that I cannot do whatever I want. I'm a human being like you, and that means that I have limitations. It's just part of the gig of being a human. And as much as I may want to be everywhere at once, I can't. I can't be in more than one place at one time, although often I try to be. And likewise, if I desired to fly like a bird or shoot webs out of my hand like Spider-Man, as much as that would be amazing, sadly, I can't do it. I've tried. I remember watching the first Spider-Man movie and I pranced. I literally mean I pranced around my house. But it didn't work. I'm limited. I can't do whatever I want. But furthermore, just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should. So suppose your car is nicer than mine, and while you sit at church, I sneak into your coat pocket, take the keys, and drive your car home. And now some of you are going to be leery about sitting next to me at church. But imagine I did that. Well, it's nicer than mine. I judged that, you know, it was nicer, and I desired it. I want it. Would that be okay? Absolutely not, because that's not how freedom works. If you got upset for me, and you rightfully should get upset for me, with me if I stole your keys, and I said, don't judge me, you'd be like, oh, I'll do more than judge you. I'll take my keys back too, okay? Because we know that's not how freedom works. So no, freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want without restraint, but also partially yes. Yes in the sense of, it would be a correct definition in the sense of if, and it's a big if, if my desires were perfectly aligned with the ultimate good of God and for my good as well as yours, if somehow that were, those were my desires and I had the ability to act upon them, that would be heavenly. Or more accurately, that would be heaven. That would be incredible if I had the ability to do what I wanted so long as what I wanted was ultimately good. Sean McDowell says this, Thus, freedom is not being able to do whatever you want, but cultivating the right wants that allow you to properly love God and other people. How good is that? I want you to try to imagine a world where the desires within you were perfectly good. Imagine a world where not only were they good inside of you, but that you could trust that the other person, their desires within them were ultimately good and for your benefit as well as theirs. That would be an amazing world to live in, wouldn't it? But we just know that that is not present reality. Remember even what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. Now, Paul, like, he was pretty disciplined. Once he got over his, you know, murdering, he cleaned his life up. I mean, out of comparing Christians, Paul is one of the best, right? Look at what Paul has to say in Romans 7. So I find this, work, uh, this law at work within me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. I'd be sad if it ended there, but I love how Paul concludes. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, this is the freedom that is offered to those in Christ. And that's why when we gather on Sunday, church, we have the best news in the world. When we gather in God's house, we have the best news in the world that although we are struggling with sin, although we live in a broken world, thanks be to God who has made a way for us in Christ Jesus. This is amazing news. Elsewhere in Scripture, it tells us that this process can begin now through Christ and ultimately will happen in Christ in eternity. 
as in, this is the now not yet principle. The process of having right desires within us can already begin to be experienced now and they will be brought to completion, perfection in eternity. What a hope that is in Jesus. What a hope we have. And so, in the meantime, what do we do? How do we move in this direction? So we're going to talk about cultivating right desires. We need to pay attention to one word in particular that McDowell used, and that word is cultivate. I think that that is a helpful word. To cultivate. Ultimately, that's what Paul goes on to describe in Galatians 5 and in Galatians 6. And we're going to return to that in a moment. But there is this process of cultivation that is leading to changed desires within us. Another word you could use is sanctification. The process of being made holy. Desires that align with God's purpose for our lives. Desires that lead to life, not to death, for ourselves as well as for others around us. So how do we get there? Well, there's another word that I think McDowell used very adequately, very well. And that is the word restraint. So cultivate and then the word restraint. Remember that definition? Freedom means the ability to do what I want without Restraint. Is that actually true? And I love how McDowell puts it. Freedom comes not from resisting restraint, but submitting to the right kind of restraint. That is brilliant. So I want to bring you back to that analogy of a kite. Can you still picture it in your mind? Just majestically floating in the air on a windy day. And I want you to consider this. Consider that a kite is only free so long as it is under restraint. Now, I'm not an overly smart person. I couldn't tell you the science behind what makes a kite fly, but I can tell you this. If you were flying a kite in a park on a nice day and enjoying it ever so much, and I walked in unsuspectingly with a pair of scissors and I cut that string, what would happen? Bye-bye, kite. See you later. You see, a kite only works when it's bound by a string, tethering it down to an operator below. The kite is anchored to something or someone else, giving it the ability to fly. You cut that string, the kite is then free from restraint and begins its free fall to destruction. Because a, a kite requires restraint in order to accomplish what it's made to do, which is to fly. That is the purpose of a kite. The purpose of a kite is to be free to fly. And when a kite is truly free, it's tethered to an anchor. Only then it is free for its purpose. And isn't that the spirit of the age in which we live in? Cut the restraints, cut the string. I don't want anybody encroaching on my freedom. I want to be able to do completely what I want to do. Cut the string. That's the spirit of the age. And if I had more time, I'd take you to Psalm chapter 2, which says that that is exactly what the kings of the earth say. Free us from the shackles. Cut the string. No more restraint. We will be free to rule. Actually, they're free to fall. That's the spirit of the age that we live in. You see, many people, including some Christians, misunderstand the premise of freedom to mean the, the ability to do whatever they want without restraint. But that's not freedom. I love how McDowell concludes. According to the Christian worldview, true freedom is not a matter of doing what you want without restraint, but cultivating the right wants and living in obedience to God's will. In other words, freedom results when we align our, our, when our, when we, when our wants align with the will of God. Pardon me. And so I put together this little helpful uh, illustration. Perhaps it's, it, it's helpful to some of you. But this is freedom. If you're wondering, what is the biblical definition of freedom? We are free for Christ, life in Christ. We are tethered to life in Christ. And we are anchored on Christ. That is freedom, free to do what God has designed you and I to do. 
That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now consider this verse carefully. We are called to enter into true freedom, and that is a beautiful thing. And that includes a freedom from. We're going to look at freedom now from two different vantages. So free to live the life that God called us to includes freedom from our old way of life, which was sin. Here, Paul likened that to a yoke of slavery. And when we baptize people here in a moment, this is symbolized so well with buried with Christ in the likeness of his death. We are free from sin. But the gospel also includes freedom for. It's the flip side of the coin. It's the exclamation point. Freedom for, meaning an invitation to a new way of life, a new way of seeing the world, the one in which you were made for, which is made possible because of what Jesus did. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. See, the beautiful thing about baptism is we identify ourselves with the death of Jesus to go on and identify ourselves with the life of Jesus. That is a powerful truth. So with this in mind, I want to now just look at one other passage that Jesus taught in Matthew 11, and as I was preparing the sermon, this is where it got immensely devotional for me. This is when it really hit my heart. We, we see Galatians 5 verse 1. I want you to compare it to Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you're taking notes, just go ahead and make a little note there. Go and check out Jeremiah chapter 6. I think it's verse 11. And that phrase, you will find rest for your souls. This is Old Testament theology. Right in the Old Testament, you stand at the crossroads. Show me the path to walk in. They lead to rest for your souls. That's what Jesus is likely referring to. But he concludes by saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now we need to understand the analogy here. A yoke is a heavy wooden harness that connects two animals, say two oxen. If you wanted to get, you know, more power in your field to plow, you would take not just one oxen, but you'd take two, but they need to work in unity with each other. They need to be bound together. And so the farmer would put a yoke across their necks. That would It's a big, heavy piece of wood and it connects the two oxen and multiplies their strength. It's a powerful figure of speech that Jesus is making. Jesus is inviting us into a life of apprenticing or discipling under him, to be yoked together with him. He came to teach and model a new way of living, kingdom life. And this required freedom, because, Scripture tells us, you and I were already under a yoke. So some of us, we read that word and we go, ooh, yeesh, I don't know about this invitation to a yoke. That sounds really intense. I don't really want a yoke around my neck. It's not an option of, should I take Jesus' yoke or not? You and I are already under a yoke. We just have a decision. Would you like to be under the yoke of slavery or would you like to be under the yoke of Christ? It's a decision. It's not, do I want to choose a yoke? You already have one. Whereas our old slave master was harsh and intent on our destruction, Jesus defines himself as gentle and humble in heart. Are you kidding me? And it's no wonder Paul tells us to guard against going back to the yoke of slavery. And we go, what? Who would ever choose to go back? That's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, we don't have time to go here, but just consider the story of Israel. They were under the yoke of slavery. God delivered them in a magna uh, magnificent way, grand way, leads them through a sea, frees them from the yoke of slavery, says, follow me, and what do they do? I'd like to go back to Egypt, please. I really enjoyed my time there being a slave. The pull inside between being 
under the yoke of Christ or returning to the yoke of slavery. That's why Paul says, guard against it. Stand your ground. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery where it will lead to destruction. But the invitation is to come under the yoke of Jesus. That's an amazing thing. So you know, I have the privilege of being a part of the church renewal network of pastors. It's something that I am so grateful here at this church. I spend uh, a couple hours each week reading the materials, being in a mentoring group where I get to hear from people from across the country and get taught by people that are in church renewal. It's an amazing resource to me. I'm so grateful for it. And more recently, I started a small group for a few young adults here at our church, and I began taking them through the Grand Story lessons, the Church Renewal Grand Story material. And you remember when Pastor Ray taught that message back in the fall of 2021, the Grand Story, right? So good. And so now I've been through the material twice, I've read through the material twice, and I've listened to the sermon series once, and every time I dive deeper into these materials, and I study the Bible canonically, that's the word that Dr. Yuan gave us, to study the Bible as a grand story, the large Canada scripture all telling one story. Every time I do that, I have light bulb moments. And most recently, we covered the lesson on the Davidic covenant, and man, did it just rock me. As I start to realize, hey, when Scripture says this here, it relates to what it said here and here and here and here, and it's one story weaved together by a master author, the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. And so this time I was reading through the Davidic covenant, And it really impacted me. See, when you think of a king, what do you think of? I think of ruling. I think of power. I think of freedom. Wow, a king is free. And as kids, we like to imagine what life as a king or queen might be like, right? Being a king means being free to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with style. That's what it means to be a king. I can do whatever I want. So, you know... To quote Simba, casually just quoting Lion King here, to quote Simba, no one's saying do this, no one's saying be here or there, nobody's saying stop that, no one's saying see here, free to run around all day, because that's what kings do, right? Yeah, they just run around all day, free to do it all my way. I just can't wait to be king. You're welcome for the movie recommendation tonight. You'll enjoy that. Um, But back to the Bible. 1 Samuel 8, Israel cried out for a king to lead them, and I used to think that that was wrong of them, and they were wrong in that context, but not for the reason that I thought. I thought they were wrong for requesting a king. It was that they wanted a king such as all the other nations. That was the issue. See, the kings around them ruled on their own authority, in the spirit of Simba, if you will. That was what they were thinking of. We want freedom. We want protection. We want power like all of the other kingdoms around us. But Israel, God said, would be different for God foretold that Israel would have a king before they even asked. Did you know that? He even described how that king should act in the law in Deuteronomy 17, which we won't go to now. But I'm going to quote now Pastor Ray right from the materials. Right from its birth, Israel's government had been a theocracy in which God ruled as their king. That's Deuteronomy 33, verse 5. God wanted Israel's human king to be in full submission to the real king of Israel, who was the Lord himself. The human king would be a viceroy or deputy to the true king. So Israel would be different. The king of Israel was to be different, not free to do whatever he wanted. And the reason why I bring this up is there's a picture for us in that when we look at the king of Israel. God put them in positions of power, freedom to rule, but he expected them to submit to the rule of the real king, which was the Lord. He prescribed that they should meditate on his law day and night. This wasn't an open end. Oh, do what you think is best. This was, take this opportunity, this platform you've been given, submit to me and lead the people in my will. That was how it was supposed to be. Of course, they failed miserably at doing that. David, their best king, even he failed to do this. He did not remain under God's rule. Do you know that scripture says that one day we will reign with Christ? 
You know, this was fascinating for me, but that's how it describes eternity. Scripture promises us that we will reign with Christ. And now we could unpack this and go all sorts of places with it. I don't have time for that. I'm going to just bring you to the beginning of Revelation so you can see it. Revelation 3.21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. What? What kind of promise is that? That is incredible, but also terrifying if we were to stay in the state that we are currently in. We've had enough of seeing what it's like when human beings rule. Amen? What a promise, though. And then Revelation 5, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. And I wish I had more time to unpack that. But what I'm getting at is this. Scripture says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And that the future of those who are victorious in Christ is to reign with him. And this will require freedom, but not the type of freedom that says that we can do whatever we want. There's this notion that heaven is, oh, it's going to be amazing because I can just do whatever I want. I've always wanted to fly, so I guess that's what heaven is. I'll just fly about. I've always hated work, so I guess that's what heaven is, just lounging around all day. And that's our picture of heaven, inspired by a Philadelphia cream cheese commercial. And to be honest, it's actually not that appealing if you think about it. Not if you actually have depth and maturity. It's not freedom. You know what heaven will be like? It will be bliss because we will finally be able to perfectly submit to the reign of Lord Jesus Christ. And if that isn't your worldview, you're going to be confronted with the biblical worldview. Heaven is being able to perfectly submit to the will of God, thus experiencing the truest sense of who you are made to be and the life that is in Christ. Heaven will be submitting to the rule of Christ. And Dallas Willard and Richard Foster, they, they've said this, both of them, I've heard them use this same quote, that the Christian response to the lordship of Jesus Christ is training yourself for godliness, the spiritual disciplines. Thus, in effect, the disciplines are training for reigning. You see, it's a now, not yet because here and now, we know that we still struggle. Like Paul said, I see these two things at work within me. They're pulling me different directions. We're struggling through this process of, of sanctification, being made more like Christ as we say yes and take one step after the next. We are training, and there's a promise attached to it that one day we will reign with Christ, that the, the work will be completed. No more struggle. No more wayward desires. No more rebellion. You can finally trust people and be trusted. It will be heaven. So that in the here and now, we are training for reigning with Christ. And I could bring you to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that says that we were created in God's image. God said, let us make them in our image, and they will rule in the earth. They will have dominion over the earth. That was our purpose. But obviously the fall came in and wrecked that. We haven't been able to do a very good job of it. That's why we need Jesus to finish the work within us. That's for another sermon. Let's finish by going to this last point here. We need to cultivate uh, cultivation, we need to cultivate right desires, and cultivation requires restraint. And by restraint, I mean some form of external tension. You could call it a rule of life, a pathway or a grounding anchor, such as a string on a kite or the yoke around our neck. We need some form of restraint to help cultivate right desires. If that word restraint is throwing you off, you could throw in the word discipline. Or practice, if you rather. Training ourselves for righteousness. And it's true uh, that we are saved by grace through faith. You might be asking that question. Where does grace play into all of this? Well, certainly we are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by our earning. That's the opposite of the gospel. But when we are saved, the Holy Spirit begins a work of transformation within us from the inside out as we participate with God. 
And I won't have time to go here, but uh, Titus 2 is going to pop up. You can write that down if you want to see that in Scripture. One such example, Titus 2, gives you a really good picture of this process where the Holy Spirit is teaching us to reorient our lives in the direction of God. And not to mention, did Jesus not say that the wise man or the wise woman would take his words and put them into practice? How do you put something into practice without any effort at all? With still having free will. So obviously there's a point here of we're not earning salvation, but the salvation we experience, our response to it is we want to make inroads in our life in our heart, and we do that. We partner with the Lord, and it requires effort. So, returning now to Galatians chapter 5, where we're going to end this. We've been talking a lot about cultivating right desires, what true freedom means. Now I want you to hear from Paul how he concludes this passage. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. So, how to conclude... Walking in step with the Spirit. How do we be free? How do we live out freedom? If that word restraint is still bothering you, you might want to try considering supplementing that phrase with walking in step with the Spirit. Ah, oh, that sounds nice, right? Oh, I can do that. Walk in step with the Spirit. Restraint, same thing, but that's okay. Paul goes on to describe that for us. And I like to think of it in terms of Adam and Eve in the garden. Walking in step with the Spirit, Adam and Eve in the garden were described as walking with God in the cool of the day. So freedom in Christ is the invitation to walk in step with God, to journey through life at the cadence of our Creator, not rushing ahead of Him, not falling behind Him. So I want to close with three points. And I'll do them pretty quickly. Point number one, to be clear, the Lord starts and the Lord sustains this process. He initiates it. Jesus said in John 8, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I'm not talking here about making yourself free. Nobody can free themselves. We needed a Savior to free us. So it starts and it's sustained by Jesus. And we read that in Galatians 5 verse 1. Also, point number two, transformation is from the inside out. That's very important because we so often try to work transformation from the outside in. We try to go behavior modification. We try on our own efforts. I'm just going to work really hard and then I'll be transformed. You know, Scripture teaches that sanctification starts from inside of us and works its way out. See, sin deformed us. The world looks to conform us. Religion and the best self-help books seek to inform us, but only the Lord can transform us. At the deepest part of our brokenness, 
With our weak and feeble yes, he is able to start a process of transformation where one step, two step, you just keep saying yes to the Lord and responding yes. See, it isn't by us. It's God through us. It's transformation from the inside out. And then third and final, our participation matters. Our participation in that process matters. So here's how I want to conclude it. It begins here by cultivating the right desires, and those right desires are cultivated by restraint or by discipline. And so I just want to highlight a few of them. This is not an extensive list, but just a few to get us going. Things like confession and commitment. Okay, saying, what are you going to say no to? What are you going to say yes to? So we will still sin. We will still have the struggle, but we confess it and turn from it and repent. We do that together as a church body in our small groups. We even have a whole retreat set up to be set free. We confess it as sin. We get back up. And then commitment. I'm not talking here about a New Year's resolution or kind of like a best effort. I'm talking here about a saying yes to Jesus. I'm not just going to wallow in my sin. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to get back up. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to keep following God. Or there's knowing God through the word and prayer. The Holy Spirit has an insatiable appetite for the word of God. Like the teenager that you're raising that just raids the fridge constantly. The Holy Spirit says, get the word of God into you. It is living. It is active. Memorize it. Read it. Study it. Say it out loud. Sing it. It is where we learn truth and it teaches us the language of prayer. And I've got to fly through the rest because it's time to get to baptisms. How good is that? But stillness and rest. Learning to slow down, accepting our limitations and trusting God. And then there's fasting and feasting. You need both of those to help aid you in saying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. When we fast, Jesus said, why would the disciples fast while I'm here? But when I'm gone, then they will fast. It fuels us to long for the return of of the king. But also in our feasting, as many of the people getting baptized today are going to feast after this with family and friends. And I hope you invite me too. That would be awesome. But you're going to feast and you're going to declare that one day the lamb will prepare a table and he will have a feast and there we will be with him for eternity. Solitude, godly community, studying and sharing the word with one another, worship, and finally baptism. These are the practices. These are the restraints that we submit to, and in them we find life. We find freedom for life in Christ, tethered to Christ, and anchored on Christ, our only hope. So, My last point here, I cringe when I hear people say that that list is legalistic. Or, oh, that's just a list of do's and don'ts. I cringe when I hear that. Because certainly you could approach this and say, I need to do these things in order to earn God's love. And yes, that would be legalistic because you can't earn salvation. That's That's from going from the outside in. But when Jesus renews us from the inside, This is the furthest thing from legalism. These are channels and pathways that lead us into the arms of a loving God. This is life. These are get-tos. This is, I can't believe it, pinch myself. Do I really get to wake up and spend time with the eternal one in the living word that he left for us? These are good gifts. And so, with that, We're going to now get to one of these practices that is special, that is distinct, and that is baptism. Are you excited? I'm excited. And so, what I'm going to do is we're going to watch the video testimony right now. And as I do that, those that are getting baptized as well as those who are doing the baptisms can make their way onto the stage. Please enjoy uh, these amazing video testimonies.
My name is Nancy Harder. Hi, I'm Zeta Penner. My name is Caleb Workington. Hi, my name is Athalia Duick. My name is Josiah Turner. Baptism means that I'm showing people that I want to follow God and I continue to do so uh, for the rest of my life. And uh, yeah, just to glorify Him in whatever I do. It's giving my life to Jesus and showing Him and other people how much I love Him and how much I want to spend my life for Him. In the last few months, I started going here to Southland and um, it has been me and God have built a relationship that I didn't believe would be there and this would be the next step of me growing. I want everybody to know that I want to follow Jesus and I want to impact other people. Baptism is very important to me. Um, growing up, I kind of got it in my head that I wasn't meant to get baptized because I wasn't good enough. Um, but I have gotten past that and I've realized that I can be forgiven too for the things that I have done. I'm choosing to get baptized now because I've experienced Jesus um, through Cell and also through the Go Love Missions trip. And I feel that now is the time that I just feel like I want to follow him and commit to him. I want to change my life and um, do it for Jesus and not for me or other people. Um, I want to show my kids that it is important to follow God and to be a good person, have a good heart. A couple months ago, I accepted Jesus to my life and this seemed like the next step in baptism. Um, I have been through a lot in my life. I kind of felt that God was telling me now is the time. My name is Michaela Penner. Hi, my name is Jacob Dick. My name is Mackenzie Harms. Hi, I'm Joe Coop. Baptism to me just means that I'm committing my life to Jesus and that I'm just excited to follow him in a new and more deep way. To me, it means a declaration of faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a certain point in your faith where you realize that God is more than something that you just know about. It's something like he is somebody to you. Just realizing that you can't live without him and that you want him to be a permanent and fully involved thing in your life that doesn't ever go away. It's a declaration of living for him forever. I've come to a point in my faith where I realize that I can't live without God. I don't want to and that I want everything in my life to be about him and I want him to be involved in everything in my life. So I want to make that declaration of my faith to kind of not only show myself, but show to people that I am serious about God and that I want him to always be with me. Uh, I am choosing to get baptized now because I feel it's the next thing for me to say yes to the Lord and it's my next step in faith. Um, because I feel like Jesus is leading me and that this is my next step. God prompted me to do it. It's just been building up slowly over the past few months. I felt like, well, maybe I should get baptized. My name is Charlene White. Uh, my name is Austin Dirksen. Um, I'm Destiny Unruh. Hi, I'm Caleb Beck. My name is Albert Ivanov. Baptism personally to me means doing what Jesus did when he came down to this earth. He followed what God wanted him to do too, was to show in baptism that he was following God and that's what I want to do too. Baptism is kind of like a statement that uh, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life and give him all that I have. Committing myself to God taking that extra step and just making that choice to live for him. To me, it's the reenactment of getting rid of the old self and then coming back to new with Jesus. I have rededicated my life to God many times and I've always been rebellious to do baptism. And this time when I rededicated my life to God, um, something was different and something was telling me I needed to get baptized, that that might be the next step why I'm not being successful in living for God because I'm not obeying Him and taking that next step. And it's just been pressing on my heart a lot to take that next step. I found my rock to die on, and the rock is not Jesus, it's Jesus who became flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, rose on the third day, ascended to, the, to heaven, 
anything at the right hand of God right now. It's been something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but I've never taken that step to really do um, because I've struggled with many things. Now I've just kind of decided that even though I struggle with these things, I'm still allowed to live for God. I've just noticed my spiritual life is kind of going up and down a lot, and I think that this would help with it to be more stable and more on an incline. And I will be baptized in the one who sent him, in the one who came, became human, died for my sins on the cross and into the Holy Spirit. Uh, because I've procrastinated it for too long and uh, I felt like my blank check that what Jesus had written on it was it's time to get baptized. Is that not just amazing? Oh, so good. So you might be wondering, there's a few more people up here than there were video testimonies. That's part of the amazing opportunity we have when we just open it up and say, who wants to get baptized? So we weren't able to video testimony, get, uh, video shoot everyone for a testimony. But for those that didn't have a testimony, we will have some testimonies on our social media in the week to come. Isn't that just awesome? That's a good problem to have. I think so. So... With that, I want to quickly cover uh, just what we say in the tanks with you guys so you know what they're saying yes to, and then we'll get to the baptism. So our creed here is uh, the question they're asked in the tank. Do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead? Do you forsake your own rights and declare that you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? And then the final declaration that is made. Then upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. And so we are going to get into baptisms now and we'll pray for the candidates afterwards. Sound good? All right, beginning on the uh, right side here. Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins. Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yes. That upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in lightness of his death, raised to walk the newness of life. Nancy, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died and rose, on the, and rose from the dead for your sins? Yes. you forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yes. Then upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. Jacob. Do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare you're living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yes. Then upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. Josiah, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Well, then upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in the midst of life. Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare that you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yes. Then, upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the life of his death, and raised to walk in the Michaela, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior? That he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Yeah, I do. 
You forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life. Then upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ and likeness of his death, and raised to walk in the of life. Athalia, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose again for you? Yeah. Do you forsake to your own rights and agree that you are living to do for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yeah. Then upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in Christ in the likeness of his death, that we shall see Destiny, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Do you forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Then upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life. Yeah. And upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in the newness of life. Albert, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? I do. Do you forsake your own rights and declare that you are going to live for him for the rest of your life? I do. Then upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare you are living him for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? And upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried of Christ and likeness of death, raised to walk in newness of life. Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead? Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare that you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yes. Upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ and life from the dead, and you will walk in the midst of life. Jonah, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead? Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare that you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yes. Then upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. Zion. Do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Do you forsake your own rights and declare you're living for him 
and will continue to do so for the rest of your life, then upon the confession of your faith, I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ and death to walk Just so you guys know, if you're looking at your sheet, you don't see Rodney's name on there. Uh, Rodney just gave his life to Christ. He's passing through uh, town, and he gave his life to Christ and wanted to get baptized. And we said, sure, we'd love to baptize you. Is that amazing? You're part of our family, Rodney. You're part of our family, okay? Rodney, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior? I do. That, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? I do. Do you forsake your own rights and declare your living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? I do. Then upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. Rebecca, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead from your sins? Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Then upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Free with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the midst of life. Austin? Sorry. <laughs> it's my boy. <laughs> Do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yes. Then upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried of Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk the newness of life. Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins. Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your Yes. Then upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the Lord, as it is Charlene, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Yes, I do. Do you forsake your own rights and declare that you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yes, I do. Then, upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. Oh, I think that's it. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Why don't we give these baptism candidates another round of applause? What a joy. Oh, one more. Who's one more? Never mind. I think there's one more. <laughs> one more. Yes. Never mind. You can sit or you can stand. <laughs> All right. Frank, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that yes. he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins? Yes. Do you forsake your own rights and declare that you are living for him and will continue to do so for the yes. rest of your life? Then, upon the confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in the of life. All right, now I think that's it. Is there another one? <laughs> Anybody else? No, I'm just kidding. Why don't we stand together? And then we're going to pray for these baptism candidates. So if you're able and comfortable, um, we just ask if you would just stretch out a hand. And if you want to join in prayer, and we'll just pray for these baptism candidates today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each person here who was baptized today and has given their yes to you. 
And we thank you for the work you've done in their lives and thank you for the work you're going to do yet in and through them. We ask that your Holy Spirit would fill them and empower them to carry out their yes to you, to know you and to obey you and follow you and to make you their king and their Lord and to pick up their cross daily and to give their yes to you each and every day. Lord, would you continue to refine them and purify them through your truth? And would they continue to grow in knowing who you are and growing love for your word and for prayer? And we ask that you protect them from the evil one. Give them strength to stand when temptation comes and when trials come and continue to make yourself known to them so that they can make you known to their friends, to their family, and to the world around them. And Lord, would you fill them with joy today and would they grasp your amazing love and be filled with your presence? And as Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for or think and imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all the church said, amen, amen. amen. Let's give them another hand.